Yes. Welcome to the show, Mr. Christopher Wright. This is the Science of Launch Thing Show podcast. <laughs> this is episode number five of five. Wow. the show. And actually, congratulations to you for being the, the first interviewee on the show. So where you're not in your car, talking was, to yourself. I'm not in my car, again, still. It wasn't meant to be this way. You weren't meant to be the first. <laughs> I have, and I think this is, this is part of the nature of what's quite interesting to talk about, is people who are dads, who are trying to do things um, and build their own thing. So I have rescheduled my, the first interview six times. Um, three times him, three times me. And we'll see how it goes. But this is, this is, I want this to be more of a, just a chat than a, like, I'm going to pick your brains, but we do want to know about you. Stuff. About you and stuff. So you're a dad. <laughs> yeah. You build things. Yeah. Why don't we start with where we met and how we met? Because via you the people that we have in common are quite <laughs> fantastic <laughs> so we met god it must have been 10 years ago i think um and i came to i came out for a random meeting in henley when you were you had just wound down or sold off your e-commerce business and you were um setting up man club yes I think I started Man Club when I still had the e-commerce business because I still had money at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And so that's a story in itself. And Man Club started because, because I had money and I remember quite vividly sitting in a coffee shop with a shiny glass iPad and a shiny glass iPhone and drinking my whatever latte and I just thought this is shit <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've been building towards like the ability to stare at two pieces of glass that say nothing and essentially say the same thing and probably will run out of battery any minute now and uh, so I decided to start the single man club, which ultimately failed, but led us on an interesting journey of discovery with some quite fine people. Yes. And one of those people was potentially one. You, let's talk a bit more about man club and then we can talk a bit about your backstory. Cause I want to know, I want to, I want to know more about you and um, <laughs> I really like you. So we know each other on a, like a nice level. Um, but yeah, we'll know more about you later. But um, yeah, talk talk a bit more about Man Club <laughs> and what was the what it was, or what the hope for it was, and what the ins what the inspiration was. The hope for it was it was it was semi silly. It was a it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to be for men. <laughs> Actually, we got lots of flack for it being just for men, but it was for men and it was supposed to give us something to look forward to on the calendar. And the idea was we'd have these 12 weekends in a year and each weekend we'd 
have an intense day of learning something crazy, um, like learning memory techniques or learning an amazing card trick or learning to throw our business cards through a melon or or learning an incredible riff on a guitar or an incredible riff on a piano, just enough to make you look cool and interesting when you were in the situation when that was needed. And to give you a kind of spark of interest for that sort of thing. So one day was supposed to be that, and the second day was supposed to be some kind of ridiculous adventure type stuff that boys dream of doing, like wing walking or um, motorcycle of death, wall riding or whatever, just crazy stuff. Yeah. And we were, um, we were talking about lining up an FBI negotiator. FBI negotiator, lie detector, <laughs> um, cold reading guy. Uh, who else do we have? We had, we had all sorts of people were sort of bubbling in the wings, ready to come. But um, inevitably it failed because of a lack of cohesiveness between the three directors, I think. Basically, everybody was on a slightly different path. and. We could draw it together in the beginning through excitement and enthusiasm, but actually putting it together was a step too far for the team that we had. So we just we closed it in the end. Yeah, I mean it was. It, it would would have been a lot of fun. It was kind of how I it seemed in my head. It would have been a bit like have you watched the film Big Fish? Uh, no. It's um, a um, Ewan McGregor. Um, about uh, him going around and living this fantastical life and telling telling these big fish stories, uh, hmm. to, and it just really and he's he's kind of on his deathbed and he's then grown up and he's telling his son and his son is just like dad just shut up with all these goddamn stories, <laughs> and his son is a writer and he's like I write and you tell the stories and blah blah, and anyway all of these kind of far out characters they when his dad eventually dies they all kind of turn up at his dad's funeral in some form or another um, but I was yeah really struck a chord with me what you were doing with with man club not not so much that it was like hey this is a thing for men but but that there were these far out characters that you were like hey wow that's curious um let's let's bring them into the same space and see if other people are sort of you know Successful ish, but disenfranchised men um, that want something else and more with their lives. I remember. Yeah, um, it basically, I, I just felt like there must be loads of people like me who are sat here staring at a shiny piece of glass, thinking there's got to be more to life than this. I've bought my seat at the table, now what do I do with it? Let's talk about Gary. Gary Connery? Gary Connery. I know, you might um, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been your <laughs> there's an embargo <laughs> get him on, get him on the show yourself i reckon they tell his his stories are way better coming from his mouth what do you want to know about gary i have not met gary i know i know no Cheapers. so gary connery is a daredevil stuntman i'm not sure yeah. how he described himself but he's uh, the guy who... hollywood stuntman stunt coordinator he was Winged the queen he was the queen at the start of the Olympics in London. Um, he was the first guy to land a wingsuit without a parachute. Um, which <laughs> into cardboard boxes. Into cardboard boxes, oh which supposedly got 1.2 billion views worldwide. Um, 
I think the PR company said it was it was insane, and it was so British as well. Because there was a there was an American guy. What was his name? Jeb, maybe Jeb Corliss. Jeb Corliss. An American guy. Yeah. Who was supposed to be doing the same thing, and it was a bit of a race against him. <laughs> and this guy in the states had supposedly got you know millions of dollars of funding, sponsorship from Red Bull or Coke or whatever to build a ramp on the side of a mountain. And and I met Gary by chance because I wanted to figure out how to put Cyberman on the top of fairy cakes. And his wife owned a cake shop at that time. <laughs> and he said, "I want to do this thing, right? This is guy Jeb Corliss, and he's he wants to do this, but I'm going to do it with cardboard boxes in a field. Can you help me?" <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, sure." And it was the most British thing in the end. We had uh, we had a field full of cow shit, a load of people turned up off the stunt register, a helicopter, <laughs> Gary in his wing suit. Um, his good friend, whose name escapes me at the moment, who's sadly deceased now, um, and uh, and we just assembled all these boxes. He went up in the helicopter. He jumped out. He landed on the boxes. Brilliant day, and he was involved in Minecraft. I mean, nuts! <laughs> just totally nuts. <laughs> yeah, Did he have a parachute? Uh, I, you'll have to ask him that if he comes okay. on your show. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, let's go with no. <laughs> I will. So, um, what are you drinking? Um, I don't know, but Mima told me it was three pounds forty in Tesco, and it's really good. <laughs> I think. I can't believe she only bought two bottles. <laughs> and so. How did you, let's start, just, I guess, taking a, taking a step back, a proverbial wanky step back. Um, how, how did you get into doing your own thing? I got fired a lot. You got fired a lot? I got fired <laughs> continuously. What's the last? Redund- made redundant. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of jobs? Uh, I started in the beauty industry. I was a... Um, marketing manager but basically my job was develop exports uh, so he's exporting high-end beauty products for professional salons finding distributors around the world got made redundant from that um after i was i, I became really ill with a mystery disease that nobody understood what it was um and was on my deathbed when suddenly I had a thought popped into my head saying, you can't die because you've not been to Virginia and you've never lived in Tokyo. <laughs> and a couple of days later, I mysteriously recovered, went back to work, got made redundant, sent an email to the guy in Tokyo who I had set up as a distributor, who immediately replied going, my God, you've got email. The future is email. Come and work for me in Tokyo. <laughs> and six weeks later, I was living in Tokyo. I have not been to Virginia. Meanwhile, <laughs> just in case. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, went wow. to Tokyo, um, worked there for a bit. Came to loggerheads with the uh, with the guy who employed me. Um, he's an entrepreneur guy. I was didn't really know at the time, but I was an entrepreneur guy. Got made redundant again, um, and at that point decided to set up on my own um websites were a very early thing in those days this was in the period pre mosaic even um so started building websites out in tokyo and then didn't really look back after that didn't get a proper job anyway late 90s late 
Yeah, mid late nineties, about ninety six, I think. Wow, early. That's early. Really early. Yeah. yeah. I should be really rich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Soul <laughs> searching. Yeah, damn it. You should already. <laughs> you've, you've had a march. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's part of the that's part of the curve, right? You're a donut. You don't know what you're doing. I built one of the very first dating sites. I built one of the very first e-commerce systems. Um, I even have email between me and some of the earliest developers on Amazon on a bulletin board talking about whether we should call it shopping cart, shopping basket, shopping trolley. <laughs> um, but you know, if you don't know what you're doing with what you've got, then you'll never ever make any money out of it. So yeah. whatever. Uh, you need to fumble your way forwards. Not people say full forwards, but it's like I think you know you just fumble. And like you just fumble, and there was no guidance back then, right? There was no, you know, we had the best you could get was a book by John Harvey Jones <laughs> or Lee Iacocca or someone like that. Yeah, none of it was relevant to what we were doing. Um, so whatever. Yeah. And did you have, when you were growing up, did you have people who were kind of entrepreneurially minded? Exactly the opposite. Um, <clears throat> I, I get the feeling that entrepreneurialism skips generations. So I never knew my grandfather, but I believe he had a printing company, ironically. Um, my father was a proper... Um, I don't want to use the word salaryman. It sounds derogatory, but he was a, he was a career guy. Dad was a career guy. So that's what their expectation for me was, was, you know, O-levels, A-levels, degree, job, or milk, milk circuit, whatever it's called, job. Working the same job for 30 years, um, whatever. Um, but it just didn't really work for me. So no, I had no entrepreneurial background at all. <clears throat> other than trying to flog my old comics on the front lawn. I mean, I I love that <coughs> there are loads of entrepreneurs who have kind of early stories of selling, selling stuff. And that's really inspiring, but um, I, so just for me, what you, what you said struck a chord because my, my grandfather on my dad's side, um, he, I guess was an entrepreneur, ran a business, ran a family business. And then my dad and his three siblings, they're all pretty straight, straight-ish down the line. Um, dad's a lawyer, aunts and uncles are doctors, that kind of thing. So, and I, uh, I had this, had this memory really distinctly of, I think it was post, post uni of saying to my dad, like, so, you know, what do you, What's your big idea? What are you going to do with life? And I said, I, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. My dad just looked at me in the face and said, you are not an entrepreneur. It's <laughs> like, uh, mm, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Surely people learn things and then they become them. Isn't that, isn't that how it happens? Yeah. But so, yeah, I think maybe it does skip generations or, People get molded in one shape. Maybe. I, I, my, one of my 
favorite mentors explained to me a story that his his father had explained his father was an entrepreneur i believe and his his father had explained to him like it's the dumbest thing you can do like just go go and do a finance degree go to finance masters in one of the ivy college ivy league colleges and um go into that world you'll make a ton more money than if you're an entrepreneur and um you know, I look around at some of my mates, I'm like, well, these guys are doing really, really well. <laughs> it's it's kind of our, it's our obsession of entrepreneurs to almost poo-poo people who've got a job, but mm. you know, some people do fantastically with a job. <laughs> <laughs> maybe wonder sometimes, like, maybe I should have just done that. But at the same time, you look back and you're like, well, actually no, because it's been a pretty good ride so far, right? It's pretty intense, isn't it, being an entrepreneur? But um, and I think I would recommend it. I've recommended it to my kids for sure. So it's not skipping this generation, but I think they want to get jobs. Uh, well, one wants to start a bar in Thailand. How, how is that? How do you filter that down as a parent? I just tell them, I think university is a waste of time. And, uh, unless they want to do something, that, unless they want to do something at university that they really want to learn <clears throat> or something specifically vocational um <clears throat> that they should just begin to think about an entrepreneurial lifestyle um I, one of the worst things i did was go to university and do a degree that i didn't really want to do just because it was a degree that i thought was going to take some boxes later on yeah um <clears throat> it was a terrible waste of three years you know i should have I, I wish i'd have gone to university and studied film or art or music or psychology or something not European business or whatever the dumbass degree was I did. <laughs> how, so how come you ended up studying that? Just it, 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 at that age, I didn't have, <clears throat> I didn't have the confidence to think for myself. So I thought that doing a degree in European business would be a wise thing to do because that would get boxes ticked in the milk round and that would open the most doors for employment at you know whatever credentials and so on yeah when, it's crazy when, really yeah i don't know if when you went through school you had the um the, the kind of careers advisor oh god that came as a, a person but came came as a package with some careers advising software that they <laughs> they sat you down it was kind of like you know a special moment you'd be brought in to bash out some answers to a few multiple choice questions <laughs> and then you'd kind of get a readout of like here are your three life options yeah. <laughs> metallurgy yeah plumber <laughs> and i'm not knocking any, any of any of these like professions but it's like from a set of maybe five seemingly arbitrary inputs <laughs> they're like <laughs> uh, decide, decide for the next forty years how how you shall identify. Yeah, isn't it? It's just criminal, isn't it? It's really bonkers. Yeah. So yeah, no entrepreneurial upbringing. Did the wrong degree. Started to get jobs like I thought I should have done, which were awesome, really cool um, experiences. But then just realised I should I should just give up and work for myself instead. <laughs> How many jobs would you say you uh, entertained before Gosh. the final one? 
Um, actually, I think there's a number that's always been in my head that's way bigger than the number I've just described. Maybe I had some other jobs I forgot about, but the, the, big, the big jobs were the, um, the export manager, which I loved, and working in Tokyo as ironically an import manager. <laughs> um, but I, only, I really adored them just because they were they were such weird industries. And um, I mean, you know, how could you not love going to work in, in Tokyo? Oh, and then I went to the States, didn't I? Duh. And I, I had the job in the States, which I didn't really get fired from. It just didn't, it, it fell apart and I left. And that, that, was, that was in the middle of my entrepreneurial career as well. So I got mm -hmm. talked out of being an entrepreneur <laughs> and getting yeah. a job. Yeah, uh, that, that can happen. That can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Irritatingly, because I had a dating website at the time as well, before Match.com, and we were getting members at uh, just under two cents each as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I got talked out of it. But I wanted, I wanted to go to the States. I had, a, I had a bee in my bonnet to go to the States, so I sacrificed that to go and live in the States. So. Wow, it is. So, I think, like, with what you do, you're kind of... Um, I'm gonna say scrappy, but I don't mean that. I also don't mean that in a derogatory way. But like, you just get stuff done. I remember when after we met, uh, kind of after our kind of second second big time meeting when we were looking at doing a project together, um, and that that business didn't work out. You you just disappeared, and you're like, I've just built this new company. I've just I've just coded this. This platform and I was like holy holy shit you just you didn't really sit around waiting you were just like right and, and now six weeks later I've built this thing so it's remarkable your capacity to I guess go into a cave and focus it's for me certainly one thing that god it's not even shiny objects it's just being like a moth <laughs> and, and being surrounded by things that pull my attention how 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 like do you think you're focused when when i get to be under the bonnet yeah totally focused um the the insurance business that i had was six weeks from um idea which i had driving from northampton back down to henley to dollar number one coming through the door that was an insurance aggregator and I kind of made the decision, I'm only gonna take six weeks to do this because in previous businesses that I tried to start, I ended up taking six months. And if I took six months before I got dollar one, it would be 12 months and then I get bored and nothing would happen. So I just kind of set this ridiculous goal of six weeks. You've got six weeks from idea to make the first bit of money. Otherwise you chuck it away, which is probably unrealistic. It's not wise, but that's how I get stuff out of the door. That's punchy, and yeah, why not? Oh, do you ever raise cash? I haven't yet. Actually, no, I did. I raised cash a little bit on one business, but um, I probably shouldn't have done. Um, I didn't raise enough cash. Uh, so no, I, it's everything's bootstrapped. Where do you, I mean, what, like, People play different games, and there, you know, there are different games to play out there. Whether it's going and raising a ton of cash or building it from the ground up, but 
why do you have a philosophy that's driving that or no it's just it's just it's just what i've done and it's not it's not the best thing and my a familiar lecture that i get from my mentor in the states is to stop being the guy in the basement who builds stuff and be the guy who builds a company instead um which i kind of agree with <clears throat> so it's just I, I think because i had success a few times doing that i've just done it again and again um mm -hmm. you know it's hard to it's hard to take the next step when you can build something that's fully automated on your own that produces a reasonable amount of money like not a ton of money um you know not private jet money but enough money that you can live completely comfortably and not worry about anything um it's hard to push yourself past that next point particularly to kind of draw back to the topic of the the podcast particularly when you're a when you're a parent because you're so drawn in the other area you know to go to the next level takes you out of things it takes you out of the parenting quite a lot and into a whole new ball game so one of the reasons i, I stuck with working for myself was to to be a to be a dad and i didn't really want to sacrifice that so went off with attention and self-discovery there i mean that's <laughs> that's me too that's what <laughs> that's what's going on with the whole idea of this show <laughs> tangents of self-discovery <laughs> for you and for me um, do you um do you have mentors uh yeah not really formal um <clears throat> i've got a, a a guy in the states the guy i worked with in the states uh tom who is a phenomenal mentor to me um just really kicks my butt and is very contrary and I find it phenomenally valuable to talk to him uh, when I dare. <laughs> um, I don't really have mentors in the in in the UK. I don't know why. I've got a, a close support group um, of people I talk to, work with, whatever. Um, but really, my my main mentor is is the guy in the in the states, and a lot of people I look up to, obviously, but. The, the one person who kicks my butt frequently is is, uh, is Tom out in the States. Can you give me an example of a, a oh, butt? Kicks my butt? Yeah. Part, part of it is this, like, stop being the guy in the basement to build stuff <laughs> and build a company instead, or at least make the decision, like, are you going to be the guy in the basement or are you going to go build a company? Um, he regularly points out flaws in my own uh, managerial capacity, if you like. Because um, I've got, I don't know how to say this without sounding a bit too self-trumpety, but because, because I can do most stuff quite well, from code to design, to legals, to contracts, to sales, to marketing, to negotiation, to whatever, I tend to do all that stuff, which, because I can do it, right? But in his eyes that's a that's a skill but also a terrible weakness his his philosophy at the company we worked at was he'll do any job once um that comes in his desk but he'll only do it once <laughs> and after he's done it once he'll either hire someone to do it or he'll find somebody who's already hired to do it um he was that brutal about how he should spend his time 
So he's constantly pushing me to get away from the actual, you know, nitty gritty of supporting customers or whatever, product development and so on, into what he, what's he call it? He calls it driving the bus. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of where I, I feed off of him, is to mm-hmm. pull me up from the trenches into the helicopter, if you like. How, um, how, how regularly does he, do you get that asshole thing? Um, it, was, it was weekly, and then everything went a bit wrong. Um, and so it's, it's fallen off in the last few months, but I think we'll start up again soon. It's, it kind of goes in, it goes in cycles. It, it goes in cycles connected to my energy, I think, like how much energy I have to drive the business forward compared to coasting the business forward. Also with mentors, I mean, I have at various times had different coaches and then some official mentors, some unofficial mentors. And they, I feel like it's almost like different depths of waves in a sea. You have kind of regular touch points with, that provide certain types of guidance. Yeah. And then kind of deeper or like higher, whatever, um, less frequent touch points with kind of people that are way up the mountain. Yeah, um, yeah I remember this was kind of god a, t- a time ago and i was i was working as a private tutor after kind of soonish after graduating and was also kind of scrapping away building stuff on the side and this this guy who's super successful entrepreneur property entrepreneur who is the father of one of the kids that i was tutoring and he would he would just always say to me like when i turn up he'd say what are you doing like basically what are you doing <laughs> why are you here <laughs> like what are you work? you know outside of tutoring what are you working on and i always had this list of like oh this this and he was just like it's not gonna work <laughs> <laughs> but from a not from a like this thing and this thing won't work but your approach won't work because and he just used to say to me he was like Swedish and it said Richard you have to focus <laughs> that's my Swedish impression um, it's like you have to focus otherwise you won't make it there are lots of guys who just don't make it <laughs> it's like okay and he's like you know it's really boring but you have to focus and that would happen maybe like I don't know once every six months but it's a real when it happens it's so infrequently, but from somebody that is, I mean, uber successful. Did you listen to him? Did you go away and focus? Or did you still continue to maintain 10 projects? Yeah, I mean, obviously the projects gnaw, gnaw away. And you're like, oh, but, 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 I could do this and that. Um, but on the large part, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make any money until I focused. I had... 20 different projects all the time and it wasn't until I ditched 19 of them and stuck with one that I made any money mm. yeah I think that's how it happens yeah annoying isn't it <laughs> shiny things yeah shiny shiny possibilities yeah um if here's some, for some interviewee type questions and I'm conscious of your time as well and detail right. I still have wine in my glass. Sweet. Um, if you could go and 
meet your 20-year-old self. Yeah. Who would win in a fight? <laughs> <laughs> I would, because I'm about 30 kilos heavier now. Man, your 20-year-old self's a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> And then after you'd kicked your 20-year-old self's ass, what would he say to you? <laughs> Jeez, that old man. <laughs> what the hell? You broke... <laughs> you knocked some beads out of my hair. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think that was going to be the question, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it came out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to ask what would I have said to my 20 year old self? No, no, no. God, no. It's, this is not that kind of show. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to tell me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I would probably have said, no, I would definitely have said, because I think about this a lot, ditch <laughs> university or finish it in one year find a way to convince them to let you do the whole damn thing in six months because that's all it really would have taken to get that stupid degree um and then because realistically that's the only time you're in college for is about six months if that i don't think i even went in the second year and barely went in the third year um and travel a lot around the world everywhere you possibly can from East Asia to South America and don't stop until you completely run out of money and you find a place you want to stop in. It's probably what I would have told myself or what I will tell myself when I invent the time machine. <laughs> and hope that those two things coincide. Yeah. <laughs> Running out of money <laughs> and finding the place you like. That's it. Don't worry dude, your future self has invented a time machine. You're going to be fine. It's so, so Bill and Ted's. <laughs> um, what, Cut that bit out. We need to write this script. Cut that bit out because we've yeah. got to write <laughs> <laughs> um, So for for the for the thousands and thousands of people that watch this show, <laughs> <laughs> what? <a, laughs> are you okay? After, after are you okay? The time machine. <laughs> thousands of people will watch the show <laughs> then more specifically people um, dads who are entrepreneurs or dads who have a side hustle yeah and, um, what's your advice oh Craigie in any area they're all listening in <laughs> uh, you can go okay one on life general and then Oh no, don't give me go. I'll, I'll, I'll speak. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is the way. Um, for me, I always have to be able to sleep at night, um, which means I don't screw with the government. I don't screw with any of my suppliers or my customers or whatever. If I can sleep at night, then I know my kids aren't in any danger of my business being destroyed by some dumb thing that I've done. Um, <clears throat> I like to involve my kids in the business in any way I can. So as soon as one of them was 
old enough and wise enough to work for me. She had a job, so her job is is working for the mailing company. Um, the little one does the really does do the Foley track editing on the videos that we do, um, which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and they they they're really genuinely interested in being involved, you know, because they what I do is not it's not easy to, for them to explain. So getting them involved in the business helps them with that when they're you know mates or mates' parents are saying, "Oh, what does your daddy do?" Mm-hmm. Um, so having them involved in businesses is, is really cool, and really appreciating the fact that you can step away from your own business pretty much at any time you want to spend time with your kids. And not getting caught up in like, I need to work 20 hours on this. You don't need to work 20 hours on this. It doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, I've, I've picked my kids up from school pretty much every day since they've been going to school. Um, if I'm not off at a meeting somewhere or whatever. And that's been huge. And just to step back and, uh, and appreciate that, that you, you've got that advantage, if you like. Because it's going to be massive for your kids when they, when they grow up. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. I think so, and you don't really you don't really think about it that much because you know it's our everyday life. It's like, oh crap, I'm gonna go get the kid, but wow, if my dad would have picked me up from school once. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would have been kind of cool. So yeah, just just uh, just use having your own business to massive advantage with bringing up your kids because I think it'll make a massive difference in their life. That is very sage advice. Oh, cheers. Sure. <laughs> having that kind of advice inside me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to talk for longer and, and we, we can do. Um, but aside from post edits and whatever. Yeah, you could have edited this crap. And I know how long it takes. Tell me tell me about well, tell 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 me about what you do and what your company is. And where can people? Uh, my current lovely company is the mailing company, and we do physical mail, but we do it like AdWords. Mm-hmm. So my background is e-commerce, and I've advertised online since the very, very first days of the auction. Um, my company called GoTo.com began pay-per-click bidding. Um, and I've done that forever, that's my world, but recently I needed to do some direct mail and I discovered it was quite old fashioned the way you could still do direct, the way you have to do direct mail. So I wanted to bring it up to speed and create an online system whereby you can you could essentially send direct mail using the same kind of campaigns you'd use to create um, AdWords accounts or Facebook advertising accounts or LinkedIn or whatever. So that's what we do. That's really cool. And who should who should speak to you for that service? Um, anybody who we we send over the top of the startups databases. So there's about 50, 60, 70,000 startups every month in the UK, and we tag and bag all of them. So anybody who can sell to startups or who needs to market to startups in a really hyper-targeted way talks to us. Um, so it might be a, a bank who wants to go to everybody, or you could be a local insurance broker who just wants to send to the 50 startups within 10 miles of their front door every week, or you could be an industry supplier. So somebody who specifically sells to all of the new, um, I don't know, uh, 
takeaway vans that start up every every month. There's about 1,400 takeaway vans start up every month. So you might be an industry supplier who supplies, I don't know, kitchen tools or whatever to those guys. So I mean, those are the three kind of markets we, we want to talk to. Cool. And crazy coincidence, this episode is brought to you by RBS. <laughs> 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 yes um well that's been absolutely lovely and where could these people go to find you uh themailing.co or find me on linkedin great mr christopher wright this has been an absolute treat for me and for the people yes bye Thanks. Do we wave? I guess. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And and a show. Right now, let's get five. (laughs)